you are listening to Giant Size, the comics podcast that believes that comics are for everyone. There's a comic out there for everybody and every desire that your heart might have. The desire that my heart might have, the one, the only, Mr. John Golson is joining me. I'm Moises Chion. John, there are those who would say that you're the Ren to my Stimpy. Not the Stimpy to your Ren. No, 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 no. I mean, you're the you're the Chihuahua. I'm the cat. I'm the I'm the I'm the stupid lazy cat. See, I think of myself as the stupid one, not the not the wily one. You're the you're the one with with volumes and volumes of catalog knowledge, John. Why why did we start off talking about Ren and Stimpy? What are we what are we ostensibly talking about today? We're getting into kitty litter recommendations. I think there's a lot of nuance to be had here. There's you know clumping, non-clumping, clay, scented, non-scented, self-raking, so wheat scoop. There are a lot of options out there. Um, there are a lot of options for what you might line your litter box with, and uh, depending on what uh, what internet uh, gossip you might be, you you might line your litter box with the work of one Mr. Dan Slott. <laughs> you you might. You might. Uh, you might. There. Are- he has polarized fans in the past. One or two. He has a couple of things uh, that, you know, some childhoods that he's ruined. That's a joke that he told me I wasn't allowed to use anymore. So uh, now it's been used and it's it's never being used again. Um, we uh, we saw Dan Slott at, at Dallas Fan Expo just a few weeks ago as we record this. We had met him a couple of years ago at the same show. Um, it was a, it was a fun, wild and, and crazy convention. John, it's been a while since we've, we've recorded a proper episode of the show. We threw together a one shot about DC universe rebirth, uh, that came just before this one in the feed. Um, but I, how, how are you? Are you okay? I mean, you're about to move. Are you throwing away your comics? Are you throwing them in the garbage and saying comic fan no more? John Golson. <laughs> that actually, I did the opposite. I stayed up till, uh, like four in the morning reading every single rebirth uh one shot and all the new number ones um just one after the other after the other after the other like as if i were eating pringles for my eyeballs um yeah i just i just went through all the rebirth stuff and and quite enjoyed it which you know you and i have talked but i it's probably it would probably come as a surprise to listeners of the show to know that it has probably been a good long while since i've sat with a stack and plowed through a stack. It doesn't mean I haven't been reading comics. Uh, but, you know, that thing where you get a stack and you go, you read one, next one, read one, next one. I haven't done that in months. It's probably been since at least April. And what has motivated that, John? What what on earth has, has prevented you from doing that? Is it just been, has it been time? Has it been interesting? Oh, what, what is it? Yeah, it's a little column A, a little column B. Uh, I have talked before how some of my Marvel habit has really uh, kind of been killed off. And and I wasn't picking up a lot of DC books up, in, up until, you know, here with Rebirth. Um, you know, of course, I've got my image titles and things like that. And I kind of read those as they come in. So I haven't been doing the thing where I have my big stack Plus, uh, I've been trying to save money. We had a couple conventions back-to-back. I've got a move coming up. So I couldn't necessarily just plop down 100 bucks at the comic store, walk out with all my pulls, and then you know make a day of it. Um, there is no making a day of it right now. There's just grabbing hours here or there as I can um, while I'm packing and everything else. So that also explains why I, <laughs> I read comics all night instead of sleeping. Uh, that was the time that I had. So that's what I did. Are there any big standouts? I saw you mention Green Arrow on Twitter, something that I was looking forward to having. I, I don't remember how 
but I came to the attention of Otto Schmidt's art, which just blew me away. This is a guy who colors his own work, and folks who, who put that amount of time into it uh, are often the kind of, I don't know, hand-wrought, hand-carved kind of artist that this guy seems to be. Yeah, Green Arrow was probably the one that took me the most by surprise. Uh, uh, a, a writer I'd never heard of who's a apparently a novelist named Benjamin Percy, Otto Schmidt, whose art I'd never seen before. And I think that was the one I've never bought a green arrow book on a monthly basis. And as of right now, I probably will. Uh, I'm really, really impressed with the, with the, uh, the first two issues, uh, that I've gotten into so far. You know, what's interesting, I think is kind of, you know, not to make this the rebirth part two episode, but I think going to get to that. I think I figured this out. So the rebirth one shots were not jump on points, but they were points that for the most part bridge the gap for the new 52 readers. And it's kind of weird how these were sold because honestly, like Superman number one is a better jump on than Superman rebirth. Number one or green lanterns. Uh, number one is a better jump on than green lanterns. Rebirth. Number one, wonder woman, same deal. Uh, bat, you know, Batman, same deal. And, it's interesting to me because I, I don't think they, I understand they had the, they wanted to sell two number ones, but I had friends that picked up the rebirth number ones and were like, I, these weren't good jumping on points. Yeah. I didn't understand what was going on. And it's in retrospect. Now having read them all, they were all bridges. They were all bridges for the new 52 audience to go, okay, prepare yourself because we're about to shift gears. Yeah. And then the next issue is through yeah. the new 52 stuff and needed the bridge or who read part of the way through the new 52 run and then gave up at a certain point who wanted that connective tissue. There were a few that were continued. I thought flash was pretty good about continuing in green lanterns is actually pretty good about continuing in and green arrow just straight up like green arrow the the Green Arrow Rebirth number one is part one of a storyline that continues into part two in Green Arrow number one. That was one of the few that was like definitely you need the first and second one. But for a lot of these, Superman, Aquaman, Batman, Wonder Woman, they were all books that if you are interested in reading Rebirth, skip the Rebirth issue and go straight to the first issue of the monthly. So, for instance, the Batman one says Batman Rebirth number one. That's the one to skip. The one to get is the one that says... DC Universe Rebirth Batman number one. It's the most confusing system ever. But uh, but yeah, the monthlies I thought were where things really pivoted and and ended up liking everything. I, I mean, short of, you know, I, I wasn't the biggest fan, like you weren't, of Titans. Um, but again, that was not a number one to a new series. That was another bridge issue. Um, uh, but yeah, for the most part, and I think Green Arrow was the biggest surprise. Really, really, really liked that one. Uh, I dug Superman a lot. I dug Detective a lot. So good stuff. Yeah. If anything, I'd like for this to kind of be the uh, in the in the Paul Levitt style in the ABC plotting side of things, the uh, the B plot that teases what's uh, probably coming up very very soon on the show. Because I'm I'm eager to talk about these uh, now that we've both read through what I guess we can consider Wave One of the Rebirth titles. Mm-hmm. Um, we can um, we can talk a little bit generally, and then we can get spoilery. But for, for this episode, and it was something that, that I think is actually informed by what we were just getting into, jumping on points, clean ways into characters, um, you know, taking continuity not as a bad thing, but as an additive thing. That it, You know, the, the folks that have been reading for 40 years, great. There's going to be stuff for you in here that is just for you because you get all of it. And for those who just want to get in and read some interesting stories, guess what? 
everything that is true and most at the core of these characters, that is how I would describe the writing of Dan Slott. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. And speaking to jumping in for new readers, he's been my, he's been my lifeline at times that I've gotten out of comics. Uh, a couple of times he's been the person that kind of pulled me back in, uh, once with his work on She-Hulk and again with, uh, with Spider-Man. Uh, he's been instrumental in, in key moments of my fandom when I was turning my back on superhero comics, uh, for good or for long extended periods of time. And he, he kind of gave me what I wanted and what I look for in, uh, in superhero books and, and kept me interested at times when I wasn't. John Golson, comic fan, no more. Well, throughout this episode, you're going to hear bits from a creator spotlight interview that I did with Dan Slott while you were, you were across the, uh, the way, uh, chatting up Candace Patton, trying to, uh, trying to get in between Iris West and Barry Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you've had a chance to listen to this. I've listened back to it a bit. Um, and there, there are some things about, about, uh, slots background that I was aware of. There were other things that I learned. Uh, I, I find that I learned something, no matter how many different interviews that I hear from him, it almost feels like he, he approaches interviews the way that he does his writing, where just because you cover one bit of the slot sphere doesn't mean that he's going to just recycle everything all in one place or another. There's some foundational knowledge. But it's, there's, there's always some new flavor no matter where you're catching. It's a great thing to be truly passionate as well because it means that when he answers a question like, uh, you know, uh, he, uh, about, for instance, what Spider-Man story first got him hooked on Spider-Man? When did he discover he was a Spider-Man fan? I'm sure he's answered that dozens upon dozens of times. But the fact that he does feel so passionately about those those particular moments and issues of Spider-Man and who Peter Parker is, he speaks about them as if he's just being asked for the very first time, which is really a mark of passion in a creator. So, John, for you, what was your entry point to the, the Dan Slotverse? My entry point um, might have been, well, to be completely honest, my entry point was Ren and Stimpy. I was a big Ren and Stimpy fan back in the day. Now, the Marvel books weren't my favorite. I don't know if they were kind of shackled. Um, they were never quite as weird as the Nickelodeon cartoons, but I definitely read them because um, they were the cool thing to read in the early 90s. They were like the they were the humor book. And for a while, I don't know if you remember, but Wizard had that Ren and Stimpy number one with the, uh, like, was it a scratch and sniff card or something that was polybagged inside of there? That sounds it's familiar. And something it like that. Very yeah. On brand for that comic. Yeah. Um, and that was like the, one of the hottest comics of the early nineties, uh, in regards to, uh, you know, speculator market and all that kind of stuff was that first issue of Ren and Stimpy. So yes, we read Ren and Stimpy. Um, so that was my introduction, but I don't think I really knew him as a name, uh, until his run on, uh, she Hulk. Um, I was trying to find out when his thing run began, but I don't think I, I don't think I bought his thing run, um, based on him. Uh, I think, I think she Hulk was really where I, I really became aware of him as a writer, uh, and, and kind of got hooked on, on what he was doing. It was a character that I'd always enjoyed. Uh, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big she Hulk fan. And she's one of those people that like, I will, uh, oh yeah, I did pick up She-Hulk before the thing. Um, she's one of those characters that like, if she's on a cover or I know she makes a guest appearance, I, I really like her. I probably got hooked on her as a character when John Byrne was handling her in the Fantastic Four. Uh, and, and I've always just dug Jen Walters. I think she's, I think she's cool and appealing 
And that book was so dense and so funny and so intelligent. And it was, you know, this law firm handling superhero law cases, uh, just a, a lot of fun. And honestly, it's ended up being the, um, the comics that I've loaned out to more people than anything else in my collection. I've handed out my She-Hulk trades more times than I can count at this point and, and made a lot of new fans of the character. You don't have to know anything about She-Hulk other than she's She-Hulk and she's a lawyer. And maybe you know a little bit about one of the various different characters from across the Marvel Universe that find their way into her book. Um, but one of the things that that uh, that made it one of those frustratingly out of print books for so long is that it was so good and so easily recommendable and so accessible. Um, and with it not being as readily available for uh, for a period of time, actually going back, I think, to early chunks of, of this show or the precursor to this volume of the show that we're doing, I forget um, because our archives need uh, reprinting and remastering, as it were. Um I remember it being a point of frustration for us where you'd bring it up as, oh man, I love loaning this thing out. I love handing it off to people and it's a great read. But for a while, the, you know, the thin trade paperbacks of it were all that had been reprinted of it aside from the individual issues. And once those went out of print before they issued these new thick trade paperbacks that collect, I think the whole run over what, two volumes. Yeah. Um, until they reprinted in, in that form, it was hard to come by um, with the exception of digital. And, and even then it wasn't immediately, you know, one of the early wave of things as people were really starting to read stuff digitally. It was, it was kind of, I, I think sadly, uh, sadly neglected in terms of, of keeping it in print and making it available to people. Yeah. The, uh, the art is by uh, Juan Bobillo and, uh, and then later on Paul Pelletier uh, Paul Pelletier, I'm not sure uh, the pronunciation on that. Um, so the the art is pretty good. Uh, just this is good stuff. Uh, I think they still use all those Greg Horn covers for posters and ads and everything else. Uh, Character placement, that kind of thing. Well, so yeah. so the thing you said that you didn't necessarily pick up specifically on author brand you picked up mm -mm. based on character brand because yeah so again a second time and the, the thing the thing that was going on at this time was that i was uh i was in college i was going to savannah's uh college of art and design and, and didn't have a lot of pocket money for comics and so my buying habits at that time were to try something i would uh, you know if i had some you know 10 bucks 12 bucks go to the comic store pick out three or four things and you know, most of the time would not pick up a second issue. I would grab some stuff and be like, oh, this isn't really impressing me. Um, you know, then kind of wait it out and go back to the store, grab another handful of things. It was dark, dark times for me. This was probably like, two, you know, 2004 going into 2005 through about 2008 or nine. Um, and She-Hulk was one that I came back to the store for. Once I liked it, I came back month after month. The other one that did that to me, again, by mere happenstance, was The Thing. Uh, the only thing that proves is that Dan Slott and I have the same taste in characters. The Thing being my uh, pretty much my, my favorite Marvel character. Uh, and again, a, a comic hero that I will buy. You know, If there's a miniseries or a comic that uh, puts him front and center, uh, typically I'll, I'll pick it up. And so, um, you know... A new thing series came out. Of course, I was going to get it right away, and it just happened to be written by the guy that was writing She-Hulk. 
And at that time, I feel like especially comics were super decompressed, 2005, 2006 or so. Um, you would buy something and read it in like three seconds. It felt like some comics would have like three word balloons per page and you'd just be like done with it. Um, and I liked the density of Slot's comics. I felt like I was getting a lot for my money and that meant a lot to me at a time when I didn't have a lot of money. Well, and, and dense isn't to say overwritten either, because there there are those who will just almost as if they have a, a bottle of liquid word balloon, they'll just splatter it all over the page and just toss a bunch of dialogue on there that doesn't actually advance the story forward. You're getting a lot a lot of story density, not just um, time density that's being taken up. There's there's some nutritive value to the to the way that slot builds these issues. It could be 18 pages and it feel more substantive than what somebody else does in 32. I think single issues we've we've I've know I've talked about this before on the show. Oh, yeah. I think single issues should have a beginning, middle, and an end, even if they have subplots that continue. I think that the individual issue still has to have some sort of arc within it. And this was a time where everything was written for the trades. Um, and so you weren't getting an arc. You would often buy, I would buy like a Marvel or a DC book and it would be part two of something and would literally not have a story. It would be just, here's something that happens and then the book would end and it would be like, okay, there's not, there's not anything in here for me. It'd be act two of seven. There would be no, no standalone mm -hmm. story being told. And even if there are arcs and there are within thing and within She-Hulk, uh, you are still getting a some kind of a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. So beginning, middle, and end. Uh, we don't have that third piece for uh, Dan Slott's uh, Spider-Man run, but before we actually start talking about that, I wanted to ask you specifically about The Thing, how you would tell people... So what, what is the story of this Thing run that he did? What 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 is going on with Ben Grimm? Why, mm. why should people seek this thing out? The first storyline in his run, if I remember right, uh, is art by Andrea DeVito and I think Kieran Dwyer later. Um, and the first, the first big storyline in there is the thing on Murder World, which is Arcade's uh, crazy, gamified, dangerous island. Um, and so the thing is trying to figure stuff out uh, on Murder World. Um, there wasn't necessarily like a grand direction to it. It was just sort of like, here's a hero I like, and I'm going to take him and bring him into the forefront because I believe that he's worthy of solo adventures. And a little bit of it delved into the fact that Ben Grimm um, would have sort of a celebrity status as a member of the Fantastic Four so that no matter how uh, hideous he may find himself, that in the real world he's kind of a rock star. Um, there was a little bit of that that seemed to, that was probably in the original pitch deck. Um, but it, it wasn't, it doesn't have that, you know, Ally McBeal for superheroes hook that you get necessarily with She-Hulk. So Spider-Man, we have one of the longest single writer runs on the character, you know, with some co-writing and some things mixed in and some crossovers and some... Um, some other other strains of Spider-Man storytelling that have been done uh, and that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I read, uh, I read a lot of Howard Mackey, Spider-Man. I read a lot of J.M.D. Mateus, Spider-Man, uh, you know, coming up through school into high school. And one of the things that I was most concerned about getting back into comics 
which is I, one of the reasons that we started doing the show is because I found things that I liked and I found I was having trouble finding stuff that I liked. Um, I was worried that it was going to be difficult getting back into Spider-Man. And then I found that I could, I could start at the beginning of, of a big Dan Slott Spider-Man story and be totally fine. Like I started at the beginning of big time and just read forward through uh, collected trades and everything. And see, I think I started partially into big time and was still able to jump aboard. Well, and, and that's the thing is I read all the way through big time and then I skipped some stuff and, uh, and then, and then just kept carrying right along with amazing Spider-Man. Like I, I think I skipped ends of the earth. If ends, ends of the earth was after big time, right? Yeah. So I skipped that. And then I was, I just kind of picked up with where amazing Spider-Man was, um, you know, as it was rattling toward dying wish and all this other stuff. Um, and one of the things that, that I really uh, passionately love, I, I was telling Dan this as we were making the incredibly long, never-ending hike to the panel room, is that, is that it, it made Spider-Man fun and accessible and multifaceted and multidimensional. And yeah, there are these various offshoots and there are these miniseries and there are these other things that he's doing um, in, in other titles. And you can read every single one of the crossovers and tie-ins and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when it comes to something, for example, like Spider-Verse that brings in all of the extraneous bits of the web that is the spider mythos, uh, you can, you can have a little bit of something to, you know, push whichever button you want, or you could have just read the core Spider-Verse, uh, series and not read as much of the spinoffs and, and extra little tie-ins and that kind of thing and been totally fine. Um, and especially with, with a character whose corner of the Marvel universe has been complicated at various times throughout the character's run for the sake of making it a more involved compound complex area, you know, from which to milk money and attention and licensing and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, I, I don't begrudge Marvel doing the, the thing that I admire most is that Dan Slott has managed to make sure that the core of the character is always there in the middle, regardless of, of what thing he's doing that enrages bloggers and people in comment sections and, and you know, people who, who think that he's, you know, ruining a character, ruining childhoods, doing things that you're not allowed to do, but which, hilariously enough, are very much evocative of things that people were doing 50 years ago with the character. Oh, he is a walking contradiction, Mr. Slot. Um Him saying, like, not, he didn't, you know, he makes sure that he doesn't go... Uh, read message board reviews of Silver Surfer, and he is going to approach his next project after Amazing Spider-Man by never reading reviews for it. But we all know that Dan Slott is also an infamous name searcher, that he uh, <laughs> he looks for himself online and and gets himself into trouble and uh, and ends up in political conversations and uh, uh, often stands by his guns. Uh, well, the figuratively, not not literally, when it comes to like the gun control conversation, or uh, you know, even people that may not like his approach to Spider-Man. Uh, you know, I know he's quick to to block them and let them roll off, but God, that's got to be tough. It's got to be tough for a creator to be like, nope, not gonna look, not gonna look, not gonna look. Damn it, I looked. Yeah. <laughs> let me hit block fifteen times on these assholes, and I'm never gonna look again. Never going to look again I, until the next time. You know, the, the, the thing, the thing that I think is, is a, is a major credit to his character is that 
he says, nope, I'm not going to look. Nope, it doesn't matter. But he ends up looking, I feel like, out of a out of a compulsion for defense of the characters that he's entrusted with. It really does matter to him if somebody genuinely coming from a straight-ahead perspective has a problem with something that he has done in the books. And I'm not talking about, like, the big... Uh, the big twists, the big, you know, storyline kickoffs, the, you know, the dying wish, the, um, the, you know, Peter Parker is basically Iron Man. I mean, come on, why is Peter Parker rich? He's never supposed to have money. You know, those, those kinds, not, not that kind of stuff, but he's really concerned about the character moments, about the motivations, about the, the characterization of, of different things and different people. And he, he wants to make sure that he got some things right. Um, you know, you don't give um, you don't give Otto Octavius in the body of Peter Parker a little person girlfriend and not be extremely sensitive to making sure that that you haven't offended the people that you don't want to offend. You yeah. Know, the people from that community, the people who are, are sensitive to uh, the prejudice and discrimination that are tied up with with being being other, being something else, being someone else. You know the same political fights that he gets into. The the as as you put it so aptly, the contradictions contained within him uh, that lead him to want to know, even though it technically doesn't matter, is is coming from a place of wanting to make sure that he is that he is not doing wrong by the people that he's sticking up for, that he's writing to, that he wants to give a place in the comic book world who didn't already have it. Um, and he's of, of the top tier folks before they started recasting classic characters as other genders, other ethnicities and so on. He was populating the Spider-Man supporting cast with a wide array of the type of people that are found in a major metropolitan area of all different ethnicities, sexual identities uh, and orientations and uh, everything. And, and that's that to me is is the thing that I don't think he gets enough credit for is doing that not for the sake of checking boxes, but because, well, uh, Peter Parker is a guy in New York City, one of the most ultra diverse places on the planet. So why not surround him with something that actually looks like modern day New York City, not the way that white guys would write New York City in the 60s? Yeah. So we mentioned favorite characters. And um, there's a particular one that I think both of us find just a little bit rad. And yes, I'm going to hell for that, uh, that pun. John, how did you feel when you found out that Dan Slott was taking over Silver Server? I was pretty excited, not just because of him, but because of uh, Mike Allred as well. And and to, to be, uh, not to take anything away from your previous statement, because I don't think we've ever actually discussed Silver Surfer, but I am not a fan of that character. Um, I, I, I've never quite, I'll be completely honest. This is his run is the first time I ever picked, picked it up on a monthly basis. I appreciate, uh, like sort of the, uh, Ron Lim era, 90s surfer. I can go back and read those issues and I actually do like them. Um, but slot Allred's run is the first time I've, I've bought it monthly. I've always found the character a little, um, ponderous there's he's always uh the the universe weary guy who has the the entire multiverse on his shoulders 
to some extent. And I, I was first introduced to him in uh, Infinity Gauntlet when I was a kid with my big cardboard box of Sears Wish Book Marvel Comics. Um, the only the only sustained Silver Surfer run that I read that I didn't consider homework. Like I kind of reverse engineered my way into being, oh, Silver Surfer's kind of cool. I've got him in my in my sticker book that I got at Kroger, and he's in this Infinity Gauntlet thing, and he's kind of neat. And oh, I read those classic Fantastic Four stories. Wow, he's awesome. Um, honestly, I, I think the only run of Silver Surfer solo that I that I read that wasn't homework reading, you know, uh, reading the lead up to Infinity Gauntlet stuff in in back issue bins or. Uh, trade collections or something uh, was was Greg Pak's short run on the character a few years ago. Um, other than that, I, I I can say quite confidently that I was right there with you. I I was seeking a compelling setup for that character that made me interested in reading it, not just because I thought Silver Surfer looked kind of neat and he's kind of neat in these places where he pops up every once in a while. And the 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 way that the way that they set up this Silver Surfer ongoing. Not just because it has Mike Allred art, and Mike Allred could illustrate the phone book, and I would read it six times. Um, it was was compelling. It was interesting to me. What was it about this, uh, you know, for for lack of a better term, uh, kind of uh, Doctor Who ish uh, feel for the character that made you keep picking it up after the first few issues? I like some of the alien worlds they were introducing. I still don't think I'm in love with the character. Norrin Rad, the Silver Surfer himself. But I really liked a lot of the alien worlds and I liked a lot of the, the places that they visited. I'm also a really big fan of whenever comics do things that only comics can do. And there's an issue of Silver Surfer, I think it's number 11, where they're caught in a time warp and the issue reads like backwards and forwards and loops back in on itself. That's um, really a fascinating exercise in in sequential storytelling. Uh, probably one of the coolest uh, comic books since like the pizza dog issue of Hawkeye and in, in regards to being really, really creative and well-planned and not something that could be executed in any other format. That one in particular is something that I, I, I feel like is, is the sort of thing that when people say, Oh, comic book. Okay, great. Who cares? You know, I'll just read it on my iPad maybe, or I'll, I'll wait until the trade comes out or something. When, when the kind of ingenuity that was on display in issue 11 of Silver Surfer, uh, or, you know, like you said, the pizza dog, um, silent issue of, of Hawkeye, um, that's the sort of thing that, that, that makes it really easy to say, look, there's so much more that can be done with this form. And for God's sake, somebody's doing it in a super mainstream book, too. Man, I really hope that, and I, I doubt this is the case because I didn't read it on Comixology, but how cool would it have been on Comixology if they were in on the joke and the book never ended? Like you just kept swiping and it kept returning you to that starting point over and over because that's what the book's supposed to do. Like if you have it in print, you're supposed to like turn it around and then go the other direction, which has you reading the book all over again. John, it would have been so great if they had executed that digitally. This is why this is why Marvel should have you sign a big fat NDA and write you a big fat check to uh, to have you overhaul their uh, their 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 various apps. Oh man, just an editor an editor should have called and been like, "Hey, Comixology, with this one, can we do this?" 
can we keep people stuck in an infinite loop of Silver Surfer number 11 until they exit their Well, devices do have uh, an upward limit on storage, but we could custom write something that literally only this comic would ever use unless somebody else decided to do it this way. But sure, we're up for it. Mm -hmm. They're go-getters. They're they're creative folks. Um, So, uh, all told... What would you say that your your overall feel for uh, Dan Slott now and into Infinity and Beyond, as it were, is you know what what kinds of what kinds of things would you as a reader want to see from him? What is it that you um, feel like he could Gosh. you know absolutely tear to pieces? I want to see him back on DC. Uh, have you read Living Hell? No, I haven't. Living Hell is about a white-collar criminal that fakes crazy so that he doesn't have to go to real jail and gets put in Arkham Asylum instead, which is a very, very bad decision. <laughs> it is a... Uh, it is not the where you want John Golson, come on. Yeah. Collect your um, the overall story ends up involving, I think, the demon and like some other you know stalwarts of the DC universe. But um, it's uh, it was cool. And I really feel like, one, it's it's a very different Batman story. I think the art's by Ryan Sook, so it looks really nice as well. Um, and I read that one digitally. That one's available on Comixology, so you, you can get all the issues of Arkham Asylum, Living Hell pretty cheap, uh, and it's well worth reading. And I'd like to see him play over there. I know Marvel's got him on lock, but man, I'd like to see him play over there. And you know, honestly, my dream title for him would be Fantastic Four. I would love to see Slot take on Fantastic Four. Anytime he's had... You know, he's already had his hands on the thing. Um, there was an extended uh, uh, little bit of a crossover with the Fantastic Four. He's had Johnny Storm show up in issues of Amazing Spider-Man. And he has such a handle on those characters and their voices. If if I had a dream book for Slot, it would be uh, Fantastic Four. I, you know, he says he's going to work on Spider-Man until they take him off of it. I feel bad for the man because you know that comics change and you know eventually Brevoort or whoever is going to have to have some conversation with him i guess is it wacker on the spider-man books who's on the no, spider-man wacker, books now wacker is wacker has been with animation for years now what's wrong yeah, well who's who's on spider-man now uh, who's the, edited the spider, spider the spider-man line is that nick Lowe now or who i uh, who knows your guess is as good comic as fans don't know editors yeah, <laughs> yeah we don't because we're idiots and we don't follow the showrunners of comics like like fools utter fools but, the point is somebody's going to eventually have that conversation with him and it's going to be sad. It's going to be sad to see him go. Um, you know, but I, I'm, there's a part of me that's ready. Like I, it's not that I feel like he's run out of Spider-Man stories. It's not that at all. It's just that I would like to see him do that kind of long running magic on somebody else. I would like him, I would like him to do that. Like, you know, a seven, eight, nine year run on somebody new. Um, it doesn't mean I want him off the book. It just means, man, I, I, there, there are books that need him. Fantastic Four is a title that needs someone like a slot. It needs someone who has a big imagination and a respect for the past and a respect for characterization. So that's that's my wish list. But uh, anyway, if, that's if a I, wish. If 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 uh, if I were faced with you know if i had to trade dan slot no longer being on amazing spider-man to get him on something else for me it would be the exact same thing it would be the fantastic four oh, if, cool. if there is somebody if there's somebody for me that 
no reservations whatsoever, no hesitation, I feel like could immediately take that book and and take it exactly as the covers have uh, have promised since the beginning and should always promise the world's greatest comics magazine. It absolutely is Dan Slott. There there are a few people that I that I think have as much incredibly exuberant love for these long-lived characters that have all the baggage, all the continuity, all the huge extensions of their universes all over the place. Um, but when it comes down to it, I I um, I, I am happiest with uh, with Dan Slott, who is uh, who is on the playground where he wants to be, because I I have not regretted reading any of his amazing Spider-Man stuff because he loves it as much as as for for some writers you know just the writing of it the grinding out of it is is sometimes like getting blood from a stone for them he he is content with living with that agony and he does actually get it out and does actually get the stories told and has has done so and found ways to to make to make concessions for editorial needs that aren't what we would typically consider concessions of, oh, well, I wouldn't have done this run this way or put in this character this way, but they made me. When he's, you know, put up against a wall and they're like, Dan, you got to do this. You have to do this. He finds a way to make it interesting and find something compelling to tell in that story. Um, and that's that for me is uh, is one of the reasons that uh, that I love the opportunity to, to chat with him that, that I... Uh, for a long time and told you that I wanted to do something about him because I, you know, doing, doing, uh, doing a creator spotlight on, on Dan Slott is something I don't need to prep for. I can just show up. Uh, the, the man dearly loves comics and, uh, you know, I'm sure that he has his criticisms and his snarky jabs to make and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he has his opinions and things that he likes and things that he doesn't like and all that kind of stuff. When it comes down to it, the thing, the thing that defines his work to me is this, incredibly overflowing love for the medium and the characters that he loves. And, uh, and I, I wish that I wish that people would put as much blood into the characters that they're writing that Dan Slott does, uh, and has for years now, after which point I think a lot of people would have run out of steam on Spider-Man as rich of a character, as great of a character as it is. I wish that I wish that there were there were that kind of dedication, not the kind of hedging of bets that I feel in so many mainstream cape books. Is well, I know I'm on this for six issues if they don't cancel us at four. So we'll see if I get to tell this story. And we'll see if I get to do this, and we'll see if I get to do that. And even with him being conscious of the fact that, you know, he may not be on Spider-Man after the first twelve months that he's writing it, he was still seeding things in, putting things in. You know, I, I mentioned the, the Paul Levitt's ABC um, storyline uh, structure for, for telling comic stories. And if there's something that I that I feel, whether it's emotional or whether it's functional in terms of the way that he structures these things, I don't know if he uses note cards. I don't, I don't care to ask any of those kinds of exact how the sausage is made kind of stuff. But just looking at the product, it feels like there is this D thread. There is this real long game stuff that he is capable of doing that I I wish that more folks entrusted with these kinds of characters were willing to do with the faith that it will it will pay off at some point and doesn't need to be super indicative storytelling of hey hey by the way by the way pay attention to this 
well, you're going to pay attention to this because three years from now, this one panel in this one thing is the only thing that matters about it. It's it's woven throughout the entire tapestry of the stuff that Slot does. So that's that's the most fanboyish, slathering, slobbering uh, thing that I, I think I can possibly say about Dan Slot. And you know, uh, whatever you know, people can make fun of me. They can they can question my taste, but they can't take away my Dan Slot stories. How you doing, John? I'm fine. You're fine. Doing all right. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about mainstream comics in and of themselves? They're okay. They're not answering you too much this day of the week, this week, this month. No, not right now. John, you're 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 on television via the streaming magic of the internet. That's true. You're in a program called Hidden America. Uh-huh. With Jonah Ray. Uh-huh. Available on uh on CISO, CISO. Which you can stream through their app or on Amazon Prime. S W E S O. Go check out John. They didn't pay us for that endorsement, but we're endorsing it anyway because John's in it, and we love John. If you especially love John, you can follow him on Twitter and uh, and see the increasingly troubling kinds of gummy snacks that he finds in Texas stores. <laughs> Bloody gummy bears. Bloody gummy bears covered in chili pepper and chamoy ooze and joy. Chamoy. John, John, they can they can follow you at Golson G H O L S O N and find your uh, comic strip reviews at movies.com links to all that stuff's in the show notes. Um, anything else that you've got uh, coming up, going down, happening, uh, anything to, to promote, to mention any, any efforts of uh, particular interest for our, our wonderful giant size listeners. Not at the moment. Not at the moment. All right. Well, if they want to follow me, they can follow me at Moises Chu, M O I S E S C H I U. Follow the network at ESNFM. Follow the show at Giant Size Show on Twitter. Leave us a rating and review in iTunes. Favorite, recommend us. Just spread the word, spread the love about the show in whatever way you can. And you very well could be the recipient of a magical randomized box of stuff. uh, Which is my way of getting rid of stuff that does not need to be in my house, but does need to be in your house. Um, uh, John, at some point... When we do, uh, when we do our creator spotlight on Matt Fraction, you know what? What somebody is going to get? A fraction of a box. <laughs> a fraction. A, a fraction of a box. A fraction of the box that they will receive will include the Argentinian edition of Invincible Iron Man number one and two. Mm-hmm. What's a, that in, called in Argentina? Uh, El Invincible Iron Man. Oh, that I don't, was I don't kind, have of, it right, kind of a letdown. Yeah, I don't have it right at hand. Uh, but but no, they they just call it Iron Man. Uh, it's you know technically it's not like Hombre de la Ferro no, or anything no. like Hombre okay. de Hierro. No, uh, yeah, it's uh, even even though things have uh, directly translatable names, uh, Marvel doesn't hold trademark on those things. They have a trademark on Spider Man, Iron Man, and uh, and that's that is uh, that is a a part of the English language that we don't mind mixing into Spanish. Those of us hispano hablantes out there, John. Um, we 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 need to we need to talk some DC stuff. We we were getting away from big two stuff, but um, this this rebirth stuff is keep been pulling us back in. They keep pulling us back in, John. Oh. it's troubling. It's troubling for our our bank accounts. It's troubling for our our states of mind. We thought we were going to just offload our our reading interests elsewhere. 
I had started on the Bible. I just got to throw that aside now. There's new, there's new Green Lantern books coming. <laughs> there's, there's a, there's a new, there's a new guardian angel in your life, and uh, and its its name is Ganthet. Mm-hmm. If Ganthet's even alive. Thank you so much, John. Thank you for having me again. And you realize that it was we didn't mention this. It was Dan Slot that brought us together. It was precisely Dan Slot that brought us together, John. Slot will keep us together. How did Don, how did Dan Slot bring us together, John? It was his um what's what issue number was that? 698, brother. It was 698. It was the issue where we discover that Doc Ock has put his body in Peter his his mind in Peter Parker's body. Yeah, he put his body in Peter Parker's body. That's a completely <laughs> published by oh, oh, put my body in your body, boy. Um he put his mind in Peter Parker's body and that is the one where you went, you know, this guy I know has strong opinions about comics and seems to not drool on himself. I will call him and will, see what and, he has to say. I, I will have his first uh, comics podcast team up with me. Our 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 literal first Marvel two in one uh, or Marvel team up. Uh, Marvel team up is the more apt title. I, I don't know why I would say two in one. How dare I? Shame on me. It's the thing. God. That's hello. Why. That's why. See, there you go. See, that's why we're such a good team. But I, I thought, you know, how better to have him on the podcast since he doesn't have a recording rig or something. And, you know, he's he's clear on the other side of town. Here, I'll just have him literally phone it in. And so from the parking lot of a convenience store. You, a dangerous one, too. I could have been killed, Dan Slot. You phoned it in. You phoned it in, John, from the very beginning. And I've been phoning it in ever since. At least you're consistent. At least, hey. at least we can thank everybody for that. And that that episode, that one has been fully remastered, recolored, and re-edited, and magically grafted into the uh, the giant size channel feed, which includes this main show, a bunch of extra stuff, extended interviews. When I actually get those things uh, out there, um, so people can go and and seek that out. John. Mm-hmm. Is it clobbering time? It is. It is. Well, That's the secret, Cap. I'm I'm always clobbery. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. Thank you.